waiting patiently in Dublin. Our guest, the Irish playwright Dan Colley, his play Lost Lear has been called a darkly comic mix of Shakespeare's original, as it portrays the oftentimes frightening experience of dementia. The play, set in a nursing home, follows Joy as she's suffering with dementia, living out an old memory of rehearsing King Lear as part of the way she's being treated. It's known as the speckle method and focuses on preserving the identity of the patient by connecting memories from their pre-dementia time to what is happening now. But in Lost Lear, Joy's estranged son Connor shows up and carers try to manage the situation as he disrupts the plot. Live video effects, projections and puppetry help take the audience on a journey through Joy's world as past and present, fiction and reality all overlap. Dan Colley will become a familiar name to New Zealand theatre buffs during the arts and festival season. As well as Lost Lear being on stage in Wellington next month, his other play, based on a short story by Gabriel Garcia Marquez, Very Old Man with Enormous Wings, will be on at the Auckland Arts Festival. Dan Colley's with us from Dublin. Thanks for staying up. Not really late, but quite late. Thank you, Dan. Welcome. <laughs> not not too late, Catherine. That's okay. I, I had to call into my angry teenage neighbour and ask her not to uh, do her drumming practice this evening uh, while I was on the talking to you. Um, so good excuse. That's a new sound effect, background sound effect. We've had barking dogs, cars, sirens, <laughs> always sirens in New York. Works. The neighbour's <laughs> drumming practice. Um, look, I hope she goes on to become a superstar. She probably will. She's why? getting better. It's great. Yeah, <laughs> it will be great if she gets better. Um, why? Why is dementia the, the subject of the play you've written? What sparked it? My grandmother lived with dementia, and um, when she eventually moved into a care home, uh, there were many uncanny qualities about life there, as far as I could tell. But one of them was. Um, uh, and some some of your listeners might be familiar with this. There is a, a sort of a section of one of the corridors that was sort of made to look like a streetscape from 1940s Ireland. It had like a post office and a shop and a little hairdressers. But it wasn't like murals. It was like fully fabricated, like a film set almost. And I thought, wonder what that is about. And I looked into it and I realized it's part of a whole sort of movement of care home design and also approaches to care, which is about going with the reality of the person who has dementia rather than trying to correct them to the reality that they don't know that they're in. And so that's when I came across the speckle method, which inspired the play. And so I guess I wondered if you were living inside this experience, if you were living inside your memory and it was effectively being sort of kept up by everybody around you, you wouldn't know the difference. So I really thought it would be a very interesting theatrical proposition to try and see what it feels like to have everybody be in the one one reality and then see what it's like when that reality breaks and maybe in some way get some kind of insight into what it's like to be somebody living with dementia and to care for somebody living with dementia. So that's how I came to it. You're very much of the position that all of our lives are theatre in a way, that we all script or actually we tend to edit them after, 
after the event. Uh, yeah, actually, the editing that comes after is very important as well, isn't it? <laughs> the justification that comes much later, the the word or tone that gets dropped to support the view. No, I I, I do. I, I I I'm I'm really interested in the way in which. Um, we do create these fictions for ourselves and increasingly we do live in these um, fictional bubbles that we have for each other, you know, increasingly in politics and that kind of thing. So in some ways, when I was looking at that, you know, fake film set shop front that somebody had very carefully designed for my grandmother to feel like she was living in an older time. And to my mind, it was so completely unconvincing. I had to wonder, God, how do any of us live together? in the first place at all. How do we speak to each other when we know so little about what's going on inside each other's heads? And so that's sort of what 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 inspired it. I mean, that and it was a good opportunity to attack a good old Shakespeare in a new way. Huh. Before we get to the speckle uh, system, I'd like to learn more ab- about it. I've heard similar things. I think there are similar... Uh, efforts underway to connect people back to their pre-dementia times and often that's where the strongest, richest memories accessible to them are but Mm, to what mm. extent is King Lear for the Shakespeare buffs is the plot paralleled here or is it more about the fact that that's the play Joy remembers and therefore we we draw on it did you endeavour a a parallel uh, with the original in, in, in some way or not? Yeah, well, I, well, because I, I mean, I, I thought I thought I'd pick the bet, my favorite bit of 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 King Lear, which I was about to say is the best bit, but it's just my favorite bit, really, which is the conflict between Lear and his and his daughters. You know, where he says, um, "Tell me how much you love me, and I will divide up your inheritance of the kingdom based on how I feel about your answers." And then he gets flattered and lied to by his two eldest daughters and by his favorite Cordelia. She tells them the truth and doesn't flatter him and he becomes grossly offended by that and banishes her, which turns out to be a huge mistake. And I just thought that's a story that gets told over and over again, isn't it? It's about, you know, people hurting each other, people who love each other, hurting each other and then having to find a way back from it in one way or another. And it's made much more complicated sometimes when a disease like dementia is involved because you have to find a connection with the person at the level that they're at. Um, so that's why, uh, you know, Connor, the Connor, the character of Connor that you alluded to there, um, you know, he's got unfinished business with his with his mother. He, uh, you know, they've been estranged for some time and he's got something to say to her. And he comes and he arrives and finds her in a completely different reality and being supported by her carers who are letting her believe, encouraging her to believe that she's in a rehearsal of King Lear from from back in the old days and uh, he has to find a way in but um, he's not very good at it um, so uh, so the, and indeed the speckle method inspired this this play it's not exactly the, the speckle method as it would be taught by the uh, contented dementia trust but they were very helpful with their time with me and they've uh, published a book called contented dementia and that's where I learned a lot of what the method is and um you know, when I read about it, I thought it sounds a lot like improv. It sounds like a lot of stuff we teach actors in in in, in drama school. You know, it, you're told don't ask questions. You're told to sort of play ping pong and keep the conversation going. And you're told not to contradict the person. And through that method, you try and find out where they want to be and you meet them there. And uh 
you know, the people who 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 uh, who advocate for it say all kinds of great things happen. Then you know they say often you can keep people at home and out of professional or residential care for longer, and you need less medication and that kind of thing. I mean, this is the claims that they make, uh, and uh, and it may well be true, but you know, not everybody goes with this, and not everybody recommends this as a method either. It seems to work for some people, not with others. And from who I spoke to, people who've cared for people with dementia, people living with dementia, it seems like everybody's journey through it is very different, and there isn't a right way to do it. And I suppose by that logic, there isn't a wrong way to do it. It's uh, it's very interesting. It's similar to some of the wisdom we had from um, an author, uh who wrote her own book of her experience of, of parental dementia, first from a distance, living in London mm. as, as her mm. father's dementia took hold and then coming back to New Zealand and being close to him. But the wisdom mm. that came out of some of the state, same principles, don't ask direct questions, don't contradict, mm. just go with where mm. the person is so that you can connect. Um, mm. Some of the wisdoms that came out of her father, I've not forgotten one, I've, I'm paraphrasing, something like, mm. I'm not where everyone else is. Mm, which is mm. a brilliant description, but also yeah. explains why this kind of approach can work. Everyone else yeah. has to come to you, not the other way around. Yeah, that's right. And, I, you know, I remember I was talking to somebody who cared for their mother through this this method. And I, I sort of I sort of asked her, you know, sort of almost putting the kind of the conflict at the center of my play to her. I said, well, what if you did have something that you needed to say to your mom? before it was too late? What if you had something you needed to get off your chest before it was too late? And she said, grow up, play along. That's the disease. The other person is the person with the disease and there's nothing that you can do about that. So this is the situation you're in. You might as well make the best of it. And I thought, wow, that is deeply harsh, but very wise. Um, uh, and I liked the, I suppose, I, uh, what, what was interesting to me was the kind of tension against the phrase grow up and play along. Um, you have to sort of almost uh, sort of, you have to sort of become that bigger person in order to play the game that it is, uh, that is this new reality for this person. And look, for some people, it's not for them at all. They can't get into it one way or another. I mean, uh, I've seen people for whom, you know, they just felt too uncomfortable doing what they felt was babying their mother, for example, or their father or their loved one. They they felt too much of that residual, and indeed it is respect, of course, but it's that they too much... Um, uh, I guess they couldn't grow up to play along, you know. One woman I spoke to, she was caring for her father and uh, she was the primary carer. It often falls to at least one person, usually a woman. And uh, her sister in this case was saying, he keeps calling you the wrong name. Why don't you correct him? Why don't you correct him? You should tell him who you are. And she said, I don't need him to say my name. I don't need him to know who I am in order to do this. I'm caring for him and that's enough. And at some level he knows. And so where her sister felt a kind of an anxiety, a kind of a desire to kind of correct the father, she, who in fact was doing a lot more of the caring as it happens, said, you know what? The care is my is my communication. That's what I'm doing here. That's an interesting insight also because fear undoubtedly accompanies the experience of dementia for the person yeah. with dementia. And so... Yeah. 
having yeah. time where there is a sense of connection or comfort or safety must be must be precious. Um, yeah. You know, depending the, on uh, yeah. I, I I wanted to ask so mm. with Connor. So so just give us a little bit more. So the the speckle that's in the play, this this method that's in the play, has our mm. uh, protagonist has Joy back. Um, rehearsing, this is her memory, rehearsing King mm. Lear, and this is the world she's living in, right? So does Connor yeah. want to take on a role or is, is resisting taking on a role in order to connect with her? He is determined to tell her something important mm. and for her to acknowledge it, right? Is is this the tension in the play? Exactly. Okay. Yeah, exactly. And so uh, he, he, he arrives expecting to be able to do that, but having not been to visit her in a while, finds her in a very different state to when he last saw her, which is she is fully immersed in this comforting past fiction. Uh, not a fiction because it actually happened, but in this comforting memory. And uh, he is told by the carers, by uh, Liam, who's their main carer, that he needs to find a role in this and that she will find one at some point for him. And so they try and put him in the role of Cordelia, the estranged daughter. Uh, so they put a dress on him and he's deeply uncomfortable in this and they panned him lines and he's terrible at reading this. And this marvellous sort of bright, brilliant diva of an actor uh, ev- eviscerates him without really recognising who he is, sort of thinking of him as the understudy. Um, and so he has to try and find a way in through this method. But as you'll see in the play, he eventually he eventually chafes against it so much that he... He breaks it and, and does the very thing you're not supposed to to somebody who's going through this method and mm. he confronts her directly. Well, and that's, from then the other, on, that's the other interesting thing thematically, mm. Dan. This need to confront this parent and have a parent acknowledge something. And it occurs to me mm-hmm. in this instance, Joy has dementia. In another, mm. it is often after someone has died that this, mm. d- that this unresolved, desperate need to for for a parent to hear and to acknowledge something and that yeah. that is something else that can bind us in life it yeah. brings us back to that comment you know grow up and play the game right um mm. is that question of non-resolution as mm. an adult mm. um a, a, the, the broader theme here as well or a theme explored as well yeah, it is really. And, and Peter Daly, who plays Connor in the play, does a beautiful job at finding that child within the adult who has, you know, grown up uh, in the sort of shadow of this brilliant person, having never really been seen, having never really been seen by her, uh, having been estranged for much of his life and been taken for granted. And, you know, is probably somebody who you know, has a job and got on and had kids himself. And that by the time he came around to having kids himself thought, hang on, that was really awful. What happened to me as a child? That was, um, that was not a good situation. And so he has to, you know, avoiding exactly that thing that happens to a lot of people, which is it's too late to, to, uh, to say it and be seen, as you say. Hmm. Uh, to, uh, 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 to 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 finally have that moment, and then it's made that much more complicated by the fact that she has dementia, um, and also I suppose you know anybody who's a, who knows King Lear would probably know that the role of Cordelia 
you know, is often criticized in the writing of it because in many ways she's so weak a character. Uh, you might say weak a character in that she is really appallingly treated by Lear. And then at his first opportunity, once things have sort of fallen apart for him, he doesn't quite apologize to her. He just says, forgive and forget. And she does. And so it's always a challenge for the actor who plays Cordelia to try and motivate that forgiveness, I think. And in Connor's case, you know, he's not an actor. <laughs> the character is not an actor. But uh, even he has difficulty trying to find a way to say, yes, I forgive, uh, forgive and forget that, you know. It's also whether honesty is seen as a strength or, or a weakness when there's an inheritance, um, an inheritance at, at, at play. It's a, it, it comes down to the essence of, of, of character. I'm really interested in how you go about your um, writing of plays. You mentioned improvisation yeah. earlier. Do you mm. like to bring in improv and workshopping very early in the process? Could you use this as an example? Oh yeah, they, they, it's essential, really. I'm a rubbish writer. Um, uh, the, uh, the process is the process is me coming up with uh, what I think would be a great idea for a play, and then sort of doing as much as I can on my own, which is basically a bit of character outlines, maybe where it is that we're going to go, and then I then it really gets started when I bring it to a group of actors and musicians, and then that's where I set up different improvisations, uh, long, long games, improvisations that take 45 minutes, 60 minutes, 90 minutes. Sometimes they just keep on going while I record video. And then from that, I then script scenes that I wouldn't have been able to write myself. And so in the end, we we share writing credits. You know, it's written by Darren Colley with, with the cast. So, um, so, yeah. And I think what that gives is, a, you know, apart from, from the fact that it makes my plays better uh, is that uh, what you get is something where you're watching the action and the and the characters and the language on stage and it's very hard to separate them all of the sort of movement and design and music is all as one it's not kind of layered on top of each other because they all were created at the, at the same time more or less and so um and so that's why I think uh, that's why I think it kind of works for me anyway as a kind of a, uh, a very distractible dyslexic person who uh, really loves theater but doesn't love writing and the use of this uh, other media in the play to to help create the effects of what joy is experiencing uh, do you do this often too there's a vision mixer for example what what how is that yeah. used to convey yeah I'm I'm very indulged by a production manager Owen Kilkenny who will uh, accept many requests to put technology in the rehearsal room so that I can play around with it. Um so in this case we were working with um live cameras, a vision mixer and green screen um and lights. And so literally we were just playing around with what that could do um as you sort of fade one face to another or you age somebody's face using ai filters for example or you uh, change the scene um using a green screen but obviously you can tell because we're watching it on stage that no actual movement has taken place and so Without really knowing what that would be like in in advance, I was able to get various kinds of textures of confusion that could sort of relate to the relate to the play, and uh, and so all of that stuff is much better done 
in in play, in action, in 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 sort of improvisation, um, in collaboration with people who are uh, working together um, uh, with music and all of that. It's a bit like jamming. In fact, that's what we call it. We call it jamming. Um, and so it's from that that the material of the show comes out. And um, and yeah, I mean, it, 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 you know, because I because I get to do that, and because I get to have the technology and the people and the designers in the room, I think you, I think this show in particular, I'm very proud of the way in which it's very visual in its storytelling, and I think it'll be it's a really quite a, it's something for the senses as well as for the for the brain. Dan, thanks very much. You can let your neighbour know they can resume practice <laughs> on the drums. <laughs> When you need percussion in the next play. (laughs) Thank you, you, Dan Colley. And the play is called Lost Lear. It's here at the uh, New Zealand Festival of the Arts. Uh, And there's another play also of Dan's here at the Auckland Arts Festival. Details of both on our webpage, rnz.co.nz forward slash nine to noon.